Hey friends, we are wrapping up our interview with the always insightful Joey Shuey today. It would not be a mistake to have a piece of paper nearby for this one. We will be going fast and deep, but lots of nuggets offered here for all of the types. Um, if you want to see more of Joey's professional work, it's very easy to find on Google. Just type in her name or look for We Solutions. And if you are on the Instagram, she's at Enneagram Parents. These are linked in the show notes as well. Uh, if you dig TJ and I's work, uh, do subscribe or share this with a friend. This podcast in particular is going to be one well worth discussing with the people in your life who love Enneagram. And so we are picking up with a discussion of stress moves in our families. So much love to you. Let's get into it. I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to We talk theory. Theory is always a great place to start. But then let's put some flesh on the bones. When when it comes to to our households, the movement in Enneagram is really worth naming, especially when things get hard. One of the things about my family is that in stress, three of us shut down. The three goes to uh, the three, eight, and one all withdraw when they are stressed out. And then the five who hasn't been saying anything, all of a sudden put, you know, pulls back the blue blazer. There's an S on his chest and he's ready to talk about this problem and move us forward because fives go to seven and are grabbing those tools. And when I look at your family, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about your family is that all of the others in your family go to reactive numbers in stress and you withdraw. And I imagine that creates a dynamic where everybody is responding to your withdrawnness when things break, when things get really stressful. That would be my assumption, but I was hoping you could speak to, to the dynamics of your family in stress. So the dynamics of my family in stress, I, I look at the stress move, but I also look at the harmonic groups. So I want to talk to both of that, hmm. the, both of those points. So um, I'm reactive and I'm intense and I'm a fast processor. So I feel like while Will as a four is also reactive, he's going to withdraw first. Mm -hmm. And Billy is a nine. And man, TJ, you know this. He is not going to let the outside world take the piece that he's working to maintain. Oh, no, no way. No way. So, so he gets to responsive much later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he goes to six so much later. <laughs> like it's like the next day, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, so... So it's, it's in such a diff, the timing is so different and Sam's reframing. And so what I've noticed with the dynamics of our house is when I'm reactive, I can't get much out of Billy <laughs> ever, the nine, the four will can meet me, but he usually has that, that's, he's got to withdraw. He's going to fluctuate from that. I am aware that I am my most aggressive self with my other assertive number with my seven, because it's like, I feel like I have to ratchet it up like 10 notches to get his attention ultimately. Mm. So it's less about everyone responding. I don't think they, it all, it all goes to stress. 
and being the only female in the house, um, I, I would like to say, I feel like they're used to my reactiveness to the point that it doesn't push them to stress. If that makes sense. Hmm. Like, I think if I was in, in the world and you didn't know me, my intensity as an eight will cause stress to other people in ways that it just doesn't to my family. There's the twofold step for eights, correct? In terms of first, you're going to problem solve in, a, in, a, in an emotionally reactive way. When that doesn't work, you're moving into five space, correct? And then you're in your head. When, when you're in that space, in that withdrawn space, is that still how things play out or is it different? When I go to five, uh, as a female eight, I go to bed. Hmm. When I go to five, it's after an emotional reaction and you don't really get that as much from male eights. So I've disengaged to the point where I'm not even quite frankly awake to see the responsiveness that might be there with my family. We're talking about how our families solve problems for TJ and I, we've used the phrase coping style. Some people will use harmonic groups thoughts on, on how your family solves problems then. So I've had a new revelation recently. Um, I definitely get coping mechanisms, harmonic groups. When we're faced with disappointment and setbacks, what is our response? And what is historically taught that I absolutely resonate with is sevens, nines, and twos are positive outlook. Ones, threes, and fives are competence. So there's no emotion. Let's just get stuff done. And fours, sixes, and eights are reactive. So there's an emotional response. What I started noticing though is because I process with action and I don't love to stay in emotion, I'm going to let everyone know how I feel, but I'm quickly going to move to doing something about it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I, I resonate more with the one, three, five space. So again, TJ and Jeff, when I, when I go down these paths, when I'm like, okay, I have this observation about myself. Does it happen anywhere else? Is anyone else shifting outside of their norm ultimately? Mm -hmm. And because I believe that sevens and nines both process with logic and observation, when they have a positive outlook, um, it doesn't cost them much because they're in their head. Mm -hmm. yeah. Twos in that group look very different. They can't go to their head and logic. So it it personally costs twos a lot to have a positive outlook. And I don't believe they can sustain it. So I believe that once they can't sustain it anymore, I think they shift to reactive. And they join those fours and sixes who are processing. They all process with emotion. That I think, I think after the initial reaction of positive outlook, they end up actually coping with emotion being reactive. So then I need one more shift and someone's got a shift to the positive outlook group. And I think it's threes. Yeah. I think threes are all about competence, but I think what's tied into that is this is working out. I think part of fake it till you make it is this is good. It's all good. I got it figured out. And so I think that that threes start out in competence and shift to positive outlook because they need that to sustain that competence. I think I start in reactive and shift to competence because I process with doing. And I think twos start in positive outlook, but they can't stay there. 
because at the end you can't stay there when it's at such a personal cost to you because it's your feelings. I, th- I think that's right. What, what I hear there is the, what the two is actually doing is they're shifting just a little bit quicker into their stress number because they are trying to grab hold of their head and they can get their head when they get into eight space. Um, Absolutely. And the, Absolutely. it would be the same with the three. The three would be moving through competence and landing in nine space where they actually do have some access to some, to some positive outlook in terms of, and it would be the same for me. Yep. Same for me too. As an eight, I shift Mm -hmm. to my stress. There it is. Thoughts, Steve? I feel like that answers several of the problems about positive, uh, about these coping styles, because yes, the like ones, threes and fives want to solve the problem competently, but threes are the ones that are most likely to want to do it in a way where everyone wins you know like it's this positive spin on all of that and and like because eights are so quick it's like they the pushing the, all of that emotion out they want to do that to get moving again it's not just about processing the emotions it's let's get this part done with so that we can actually do something about this problem thing that hits me here, which I'd I'd love your thoughts on, not everybody that's watching is a parent, but we all have parents or perhaps a parent. Um, Joey, you and I share an experience of having two parents who are both positive outlook and how they're solving problems. And I imagine you know what it's like for that to make you nuts. And I know what it's like for it to make me nuts. And everybody's got their, you know, I, I, I assume it's the case that folks that have parents who might be a pairing of four, six, eight, would likewise see a very emotional household because that's how the problem solving works. Um, do you have thoughts about your ex- your experiences of having a parent have parents that are all positive outlook? Jeff, what I'd like to do is answer the the positive outlook piece, but also the defer piece. Do it. Yeah. So um, while I had two positive outlook parents, um, when I saw that there was an issue. Uh, that they didn't necessarily see as an issue. That was absolutely frustrating. Right. The other piece that, that was such a natural disconnect for me growing up is both of my parents defer to others. Mm. And my language for that is twos and nines. And that's been fascinating for me to, to look at because twos and nines, you both defer to others, but it's based on your dominant center. Um, or your filter. So my mom defers to other people's feelings and my dad would always defer to other people's doing. And oddly enough, while I don't defer, I could, I share that line with my mom that is responsive feeling. Um, I could never line up with my dad on deferring to others. Right. Just Mm, could not. And that was a, that was a tough space that interestingly enough, we made up for uh, in logic, like that's, I always meet my dad in logic because that's what supports my doing. And, uh, man, people don't like to hear that they're not bringing up logic, but the, at the end of the day, what I teach all the time is there are only four types who naturally even bring it to the table. And that's the three types that process with it, five, seven, and nine. And the only other type is eight because it supports my doing. Mm. Everyone else has to reach for it or bring it up. Yeah. 
I, I connect most with my spouse over thing projects that we're doing. You're married to a to to a man who is an Enneagram scholar as well, correct? Just finished a PhD. He did his. It's specifically an EDD, so it's it's the same doctor. You know, it's the doctorate, but it's a doctorate in educational leadership. It's I met as you're speaking. That's why I'm thinking is the the places of connection that we have with people matter and we're worth naming. I assume that's the case then for your spouse as well. It's the thinking is a place of real connection for y'all. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's where we um, meet for sure. Um, I would love to get TJ's thoughts on this because what I say all the time. I mean, it's understood that nines are, are miss, you know, some of what's said. And the way I always tee it up is when Billy and I started dating, I don't, uh, live life through the lens of comparison, but I am competitive. Mm. And it was pretty clear to me pretty quickly that, that he matched me intellectually. Mm. And so I wanted us to take an IQ test <laughs> and we did <laughs> Very early on we did, and uh, he has a higher IQ than I do. And so I always I always tell that story so that I can tee up honorably that this has nothing to do with intelligence, but man, where Billy and I can struggle sometimes is the speed of his processing. Mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. the fastest processor, and he is the slowest. That is consistently uh, with eights in particular, eights and threes. That is consistently a thing that that is a a real barrier because I need to take my time. I need to to think about how other people might see this issue and like what are the different sides and and all of the things and and even once I get to the place of having a, a clear grasp of my thoughts I'm still not thinking about what to do with them that I'm still not getting to an action place and my eight partners are like they're already ready to do the thing they they don't want to talk about it anymore like it's it's time to do the thing that that we're trying to process here and uh yeah that but if we can figure out a way to meet like one of one of my business partners is um is an, an eight who is very quick and ready to go and and one of the places that, that we have figured out how to work better together is when he slows down and I speed up and and for me personally that that means I have to say what I'm actually thinking I have to I have to put it out there as opposed to just holding it in and waiting to make sure that what I'm saying is clear about what I'm thinking if I let my my first thoughts come out it moves things along a lot faster and it also helps him slow down because we're now not being as efficient as we might be but we are meeting each other in speed a little bit easier i love that i think that's very well said uh just to pull jeff into this what i teach with eights ones and threes i always bring up intuition and Intuition is about gut. So eights, nines, and ones, that's where the three of us all meet. We, we trust our gut and our gut's usually right. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the definition of intuition is essentially act, you know, doing without thinking ultimately. And I use that when I'm teaching for eights, ones, and threes, because the way I, I say it is, man, unless we're being conscious, we're making a lot of decisions without logic and threes and eights, Jeff, your wife and I, we just move so fast that if we didn't think of something, we will adjust in stride. Mm -hmm. And, and then it's like, it never, you know, that was not even an issue, right? That illusion of control. 
Well, it's different for ones because you're more meticulous than we are. You don't want to make a mistake. You know, there's a right way to do something. But I always bring that up to kind of remind ones that if you are so set on the current way to do it, that you're unwilling to look beyond that at another way, I find that to be the most obvious space where ones aren't bringing up logic and objectivity. It's a very subjective way to look at the world if your way is the only way to do it. Lots to say there. The uh, Speaking of pet peeves, the it unfortunately comes out of the mouths of ones too often, the idea of rightness. And I think there needs to be different language there for exactly this point is um, I'm convinced with eights, nines, and ones that what we need to talk much more about is environments and spaces. And I don't hear that very often in terms of our intelligence center, but I feel a certain way. So do you, so all three of us, uh, when we enter a room in this, the way that the one is coming to this because our, because we're thinking repressed, the only thing we have is systems that we've um, either created or embraced we are, I've used this term, this before, but, you know, we're the guy in memento with tattoos all over us reminding us this is what's most important because we have no access to the past and we have no access to the future. We're living in the moment. The world's coming at us and we're, we're naturally resistant to the present. And so what do we got? And we look at our tattoos and we're like, well, this is the way. And um, it's, it's very difficult to navigate. We, we outsource in some ways our just our repressed thinking to those systems and it takes on the color of rightness because it gives us a little bit more stability in that space. So you're entirely right in terms of flex ones that are flexible can be incredible human beings, fantastic to dialogue with and the rest. And it is being able to balance there is just, you just got to know it's very difficult to get there um, half the time. Um, I'm not sure that there's a point there aside from this is kind of what we're on this little teeter totter have, have, have grace for us. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. You said flexible specifically, because that's what I teach. I, I say, you know, when we bring up our center, that's repressed, it's not groundbreaking, you know, cause we can't live there. It's just adding that to who we already are. Yeah. So I say when, when eights, when I bring up feeling, like, I don't want to stand around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> when right. I, when I draw from two, it just makes me more considerate. Mm -hmm. And that's a, an, an astonishing word for a one, two or six who you, you kind of are naturally considerate. And my language for, for ones is when you, you'll know that you are drawing from objectivity and logic and that thinking center when you're flexible. Right. It shows confidence in your thinking if you're flexible, and it shows that you are not confident in your thinking if you solidify. Um, we brought it up briefly. There is a dynamic between assertive parents and assertive children. I'm sure there's wisdom to be found. <laughs> Joey, what is that wisdom? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you, the wisdom that I have from parent, you know, being an assertive parenting and assertive is it is a battle of wills. And when I, as an eight ratcheted up, when I can't influence, um, with my natural assertiveness, I lean into intensity and anger and you're never going to win when that, when that comes up ultimately. So, um, you, 
I hesitate to give this, I haven't told this story in a really long time, but um, when Billy and I started uh, really doing the parent, you know, we were try pulling together our parenting uh, curriculum with Enneagram. There was a little more self-observation in the parenting moment um, in those moments and spaces. And in a 24 hour period, the boys broke, this is years ago. I mean, they were un both under 10 years old. They, they broke some blinds with a basketball and I reacted for sure, but I didn't, you know, go all out. And then in that same 24 hour period, they broke a very expensive frame with a soccer ball. Now, God knew what it was doing, giving me boys. And, and I know that my house at some day will, you know, not be, I won't have a, um, a weight room and workout place in my <laughs> den, you know, or which, which is just the grown up boys playroom. It used to be the boys playroom, right? Um, and so I, I reacted and I reacted heavily and I am, a, was aware then as I always am that Sam stood independent from it. I mean, he honestly, when I'm at hitting the height of my anger and intensity, he gets a little grin in the corner of his mouth as a seven, which is so clear that he's reframing and standing independent, uh -huh. you know, reframing in real time. Yeah. yeah. And he's, um, and so I'm making sure he's not in my personal space because I might lay hands on and it would be bad. <laughs> Historically, after those moments, which thankfully, because of Enneagram and self-observation are fewer and further between, when I go back to the boys, if I go back to Sam, he's reframed it. He doesn't even remember it like it happened. So if I'm apologetic, he says, mom, it's all good. And he really means it ultimately. Mm -hmm. Will's a different story. And so I went back in this moment to Will and, Will I'm, is your seven. and I'm telling him. So, so Sam, Sam is my seven. So my seven's reframed it. Perfect. Thank you. My seven is reframed it and he's all, it's all good. My four took it in. Right. And so I go to my four and I say, Will, I am so sorry. You know, I'm really working on not being quite so reactive and quite so intense. And, and I'm so proud of you and I love you. And and, um, you know, do you forgive me? And is there anything you want to say? And y'all, he was 10 and he looked at me and he said, yeah. And I said, what babe, anything. And he said, I know you don't mean it, but could you stop saying you're going to kill me? <laughs> 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 and I said, absolutely. I can't <laughs> So four, you know, man, you got those fours who, who remember, you know, it, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, my, my big lesson with him has as well has been, I, I used to say, um, I have a very close friend who's a, a four, a male four, and we uh, worked together for 15 years. And, um, I learned a lot about fours and male fours from him. And I used to kind of cavalierly say that fours were revisionist historians. Hmm. You know, they'll get all, they'll work up to something and, and they'll bring up something from the past and it is not accurate to what actually happened. And I was teaching that many years ago when I brought that term up and I had a very wise four say to me, a male four, a wise male four say to me, we don't remember what happened. We remember how we felt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And since we're in the past, when we're bringing it up to the present, all we're reaching for is that feeling. And it may not be, at, you know, the, the court reporter's transcription of what happened. Right. And that taught me a ton. Yeah. There, mm -hmm. That's perfect. Filter. Funnel. Yeah. On the flip side, 
you have a withdrawn spouse with a withdrawn child. There's a dynamic for parenting there as well, which very different energy, I assume. Um, wisdom for, for withdrawn parents. So, um, honestly, as on the parent side, I think what Billy really had to learn that, that he got a crash course in pretty quickly because he asked me for a, um, spouse is that he needs to be more active as the withdrawn parent. Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. there are times I think he, he saw early on that Will and I, uh, going at it and reacting and being passionate, uh, we had put all logic aside at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And nines uniquely uh, bring something to the table that their spouses don't love as parents. And that is they see it from the spouse side and they see it from the kid's side and they see it pretty equally from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, and so what Billy is the withdrawing parent and specifically the nine learned that he teaches when we're together is um you want that connection with your child and you want to give them an answer, but you're not sure, but you want to show that support for your spouse. And so we, he talks about the sidebar conference all the time, like as a withdrawing parent, he doesn't want to lean into, we'll just wait and let your mother answer because he needs to step up and fill that space. But he also needs to represent us as a unified front. Right. And so he has to put his conflict avoidance to the side. Um, and I would say, I think all fours, fives and nines withdrawing numbers as parents, there is this built in avoidance that you have yeah. and, uh, learning to engage your spouse as you, uh, respond to your child, I think are, are really important elements to bring to the table. And even that we, you can't wait. Like that, fours, fives, and nines can can get through a lot of life uh, under the assumption that somebody else will do it. Right. If your partner isn't doing it already, you have to. Like that, there's not someone else who's going to come along and pick up these pieces for you. And that that's one of the things. My my partner and I, my my spouse is a six, and uh, we have never had a significant fight, and we've been together like sixteen years. It's because I'm conflict avoidant and. She doesn't want to disrupt her security. And, and so like whenever we have disagreements, we'll separate for a little while and then come back together and talk about it calmly. And uh, we've just never had a real fight. And thinking about the future of like my daughter is going to be a teenage girl at some point. And like even just the, the she's three and even just the little bit of discipline that's been in and around being around a toddler there's so much that I have to remember somebody else isn't going to do these things for me. Somebody else isn't going to teach her the values that I th think she needs to know. Somebody else isn't going to accomplish the job of parenting and building a relationship. I actually have to be active. I have to take the steps now. And like a lot of my life, part of conflict avoidance is about like I'll wait to respond to something so that I don't respond poorly. And then when I come back to it, either I it doesn't matter and I I don't have to respond or I do it in a, a much calmer, more rational kind of way. And I have to figure out how to do that much faster with parenting because I can't wait on a lot of this stuff. If I wait, 
the moment it's gone. If I don't respond to the needs of my child, the moment might be already gone. If I don't respond in discipline when discipline is needed, I let that thing happen. And then coming back to it, just that's that's terrible parenting. <laughs> so like there's a lot of stuff. It's not just about, um, I forgot the words. It's not just about being active, but also being active in the moment when it's needed. I, I think that's very well said. I would also bring up that a, a real, I'm very aware in our house, um, we're missing a piece that you both have. Jeff, you being a one and TJ, your wife being a six. We say that, you know, responsive types, ones, twos, and sixes. So that's my new term for dependent is responsive. Mm -hmm. I know <laughs> I haven't met a one, two, six who doesn't like that. <laughs> and so uh, ones, twos, and sixes, we just don't have a responsive type in our house. Mm -hmm. And what we're missing out on is that litmus test. Like Jeff, I'm sure you're that in your house. And I bet TJ, your wife is um, because the reference point is external like you guys, you're the litmus test for your house, man. And we don't have it. Mm -hmm. Sam and I are standing independent from it. Billy and Will are withdrawing from it. So it's a, yeah. that's an interesting dynamic too. My wife is as informed as anyone in the state on the dynamics of uh, the the lives of of the youths of, of teenagers. And this is something she can't win at in our house in terms of moving our kids from here to there sometimes she can move a thousand kids from here to there and these two yep. and it's just a different it's it is different skill set the thing that was standing out to me most there with the, the conversation about nines i have a nine parent my mom my beloved mom uh was a nine and it's clear as as i'm looking at your work the latitude she extended to me was over the top and it's clear that that's what she wanted and it's not what i wanted <laughs> And, uh, but that was, that was how she came to it. And so as TJ was talking, that's what I was hearing. It's like, you have to go against your impulse to say, my kid wants what I want. Um, that's a great Enneagram phrase for parenting just in general, but that is what I see. And, and on the affirmative side, like my, my go-to, I'm just seeing it in myself as uh, reflecting on the concept. I'm all affirmation for my kids. That's all I do. Neither one of them want that. I have an eight and a five. And so the latitude and consistency, and, and yet that, this is how I'm telling you that I love you is I'm actually saying you're, you're amazing on these fronts and that's not what's desired. This is, that, that was incredibly helpful. Um, last thoughts on, on parenting? I just think it, it makes such a difference. I mean, I seeing it in our children, there's my 17 year old, you know, he's, he's less than a year from going to college and I, would venture to say that he doesn't look like a typical four because he grew up in a household where he was understood. Right. Hmm. And you, if you can figure out what your kid is and, and, you know, extend that lens and that compassion to them, it, I think it'll make a world of difference. So I heard rumor that someone in your family was mistyped, which strikes me as desperately fascinating. And I have yet to hear the story. And so I don't know if this is shareable, uh, but if it were, I would love to peek behind the curtains because, again, the one thing that TJ and I routinely try to say is you should never type other people, one. And two, when uh, like you all are as informed as anyone on the planet on this front, and yet still. So I don't know if there is there is, is there anything that can be shared there? 
Well, so you're, you're in luck because you're asking the eight in the family right. and I'm the most transparent number on the Enneagram, <laughs> but I definitely have to say that this is my thinking alone. Well, we'll just go from there. You, you're is, the, one the one that discovered or you're the only one I'm that the things one brought it up. Yeah. Right. And let me also say, this is, you know, one, if I know anything about the Enneagram, it's, you know, it's, it's a personal journey right? It's, and you can only type yourself all the things I am. Uh, there's a 10 year difference between me and my youngest sibling. So I was, he was eight when I left the house for good ultimately. And he has typed himself, um, uh, and had that support in the family growing up as a four. And it is unbelievably clear to me that his reference point is outside of himself right. and not internal. Yeah. Now that's interesting when you navigate that because uh, so I've got one, two, and six to choose from, right? And uh, just anything I'm saying here, I've said all of these things to my youngest brother, uh, BJ. And it's interesting because when my mom brings him up in podcasts, there are several instances where she talks about him when she's talking about the dependent stance. So because I, he just, I think he kind of fits in there and, and he could just be an anomaly. Um, he identifies as a four still to this day, and I believe he's a six. So if you want to know my journey for that, um, raising a four, it is very clear to me that fours have to withdraw at some point that yes, there's emotion. Yes. There's imagination, all of those things, which fours and sixes look very similar. Like talk about the imagination. We know that's the truth with fours. They've got this, you know, they love to kind of uh, naturally settle into fantasy and, and that's a, a natural space for them. Well, you've got to have an imagination for that. Can you just imagine TJ, this is your wife, the imagination you have to have to come up with all kinds of different scenarios of what could right. happen. Yeah. So, so I think there's, there's a real tie there. They both process. Um, if you ascribe to my way of thinking, which is sixes shift to process with subjectivity and feeling. They both process with the same center. Um, I, he has to have people and fours relationships are, are very important for fours, but they also need that alone time. Mm -hmm. And I've never observed that in him. He has to have people and oh man, he's a verbal processor. Like it's always thinking out loud, always thinking. So this loud. is still in the works. I, I thought this might have been resolved. That's hilarious. It has not been resolved. <laughs> and the only other, if, if I was going to say anything that when I kind of approached him, which I did yeah, very lovingly and said, man, I, I'm seeing all these things. I just want you to look at it. <laughs> um, I, I do find that with sixes, most sixes, you know, they all have anxiety. I work, um, 75% of my clients in corporate America are long-term clients. So I go and teach, you know, your number, and then I work with them beyond that. Hmm. And in one of those clients, I'm working with a six who all of her anxiety is around relationships. It's the what ifs, but it's the what ifs in relationships. So she hmm. can look like a two, right. but she's very much a six. So I took that angle with my brother and I said, I'm, I'm, I, it's clear you have anxiety um, but it seems to be centered around relationships, you know, check this out. His, the latest development is he recently, um, was at a, you know, observing a know your number somewhere and really kind of dabbled in the space he was in with three. Right. 
which again, to me speaks to six, like you share a line, um, again, and it's his journey and he's, he's sticking to four and it's, might, it's his journey. It might be hard to trust your own judgment about your Enneagram type if you were living in a house with and sixes are the one type who don't trust what they're you know they they have the hardest time landing on type the right. hardest time landing on their type. i haven't heard that i before. mean i've across the board you have not no, i've never heard somebody say that before tell oh, me why because they don't trust their own thoughts is that they just don't trust it? Their own especially thinking. their thoughts about themselves well it's it's threefold in my the way i see it yeah. so uh i've been teaching for actively teaching for 15 years so at this point in my life, I have taught thousands of people. And the way I like to describe this is if I teach somewhere and I teach 200 people in a day and I give them the full day of a know your number and I have 10 people at the end of the day who don't have, haven't landed on their type, they have more questions. And I always, I make it a practice to kind of stay behind and answer those because I think landing on your type is important. If I have 10 people who aren't sure of their number, nine of the 10 will be sixes, <laughs> truly. And when I say, have you narrowed it down? Six won't be one of the options. That's It is fascinating. And I, it's because they see themselves in every type because they're processing with the feeling and human relation center. So they see themselves in every type. They don't trust their own thinking. If this is new information for them, they're not ready to make a decision because they haven't decided how they feel about it yet. Mm -hmm. They don't trust me yet as an authority and they don't see themselves as fearful. So bringing in that three, six, nine space because of the shift, what I find with three, sixes and nines is they trust their dominant center least and they recognize their fueling emotion last. So TJ, you know, I'm, I'm married to a nine and he defers. He is, he has his doctorate. He's in our college's hall of fame for baseball. And he does not trust his doing. He trusts his thinking. Yep. Yeah. And while he's being, my term is sweetly stubborn, while he's being sweetly stubborn, he will tell you he's not angry when he absolutely is. <laughs> and threes, Jeff, your wife, um, trusts her doing more than her feeling, hands down, for sure. And she disconnects from negative emotion. So she's going to disconnect from shame and anxiety and uneasiness within. So she's not going to recognize that. Sixes are the same. Sixes do not see themselves as fearful. So when I have a six in front of me who does acknowledge their fear, I feel like we're they're already like 10 steps ahead of most sixes because generally sixes do not see themselves as fearful and they don't trust their own thinking. And that lovely combination means it's hard for them to land on their time. I have a side theory that this is why we bring up counterphobic sixes all the time is because like I, I'm the subtype for, for ones, but we're never talking about that. But I see the real distinction between myself and social and uh, self-preserving ones. But I think sixes don't trust themselves enough. And so we need like some, we need to even go further with this in terms of specificity. Anyway. Well, and I love that you brought up phobic counterphobic because I think that's that adds to the confusion. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I've heard two schools of thought on it. You know, I agree with the school of thought that says you're not either phobic or counterphobic as a six, that it's a spectrum that you're drawing from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And the way I teach it in corporate America is sixes who are, who lean more counterphobic, just mobilize beyond their doubt faster. And interestingly enough, if they're especially aggressive. So the other thing I teach when I'm talking about the anger for eights, nines, and ones is that it has nothing to do with feeling it or showing it because anger is a healthy human emotion. Maybe only eights say it's healthy, but I do <laughs> say it's healthy. Um, that the number after eights to show anger the fastest is sixes. So it has nothing to do with feeling it or showing it. It's, it's the fueling piece. And so there's a lot there to confuse sixes ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think I, I usually, I, I think counterphobic sixes who lean heavily counterphobic mistype themselves and are mistyped by others as eights in droves, in droves. A lot of behavior, not motive going on in both those. A yeah. lot. Yeah. And I'm finding, you know, it, it's it's understood that um, fours, there are the most complex and there are fewer fours than any other type. I am finding and now saying that I think eights, there are fewer eights also. There are fewer fours and eights than any other type. Hmm. And I have worked personally with every single type on the Enneagram who has mistyped themselves as an eight. And part of that's definitely our culture and especially in the corporate world yeah, where like you, you have to, you have to be the boss to get ahead. Right. Present as an eight to, to move forward. Yeah. I'd love to, to, to end with just kind of like a, like a speed round. I don't know what else to call it. I'm gonna, I want to like hit just a handful of quick questions for you. Just get your immediate response and we'll close things down. Um, first, uh, in terms of your own learning, what's the most recent thing that you learned, have learned about the Enneagram? Absolutely. So um, when I when I talk about being in organizations and looking at um, eights, ones, and threes, all processing with action, so the motors, I, I have always found myself saying, and we've all got that inside of us intuitively, because everyone, regardless of type, has a line to eight, one, and three, because we all need to do at some point. And then when you look at nine, four, and five, who represent the withdrawing stance we're doing is last it was clear uh, that we all have a line to nine, four, and five because we're all wired intuitively and need to stop. So you look at eight, one, three represent go. I, I, I liken it to a, a traffic light, quite frankly. So eight, one, and three are your go. We all have a green light in us. Nine, four, and five are your stop. We all have a stop in us that we need to, um, if we're not the nine, four, and five, we need to engage that to be more balanced. And then that leaves twos, sixes, and sevens. And it's fascinating to me that two sixes and sevens doing is second for them. And so I would call them the yield ultimately. So that's our yellow light. And regardless of type, we all have a line to two, six, and seven. And so what I'm working with that I think is going to be so helpful in the world is when you look at what each of those lights, what stop and go and yield gives us intuitively. And eights, ones, and threes, doing represents action and implementation. And we all have that in us. And nine, four, and five by nature um, have introspection and self-reflection. That is important for all of us. Two, six, seven, I think what that space gives us when we draw from that and what two, sixes, and sevens represent so well out in the world is social awareness mm and versatility. Mm. And so just if you look at you, Jeff, you start 
where I start. Like we're, we kind of go in the same order. We, we both start with action and imp implementation. When I go to five, what introspection gives me is logic. And so for most people on the Enneagram, introspection and stopping is going to give them logic because that's nine and five. For you right. as a one, stopping and introspection is where you get in touch with people, awareness, and emotion. Can I build on that? Please. The What I get in it for is, is what you were saying before. It's you're a good person. It's actually a much more introspective, um, identity-focused understanding, not cognitive. It's, a, it's I'm so busy out there doing the thing. The forness ends up being stopping and asking introspective questions like, who are you? What is your life about? That that element is what's raised. Although there is the, actually the relational step at four for me is is riddled with, tinged with shame. Um, this is what I haven't done for others. I don't know if that builds or contradicts, but that uh, it feels like that goes in line with what you're saying. Yeah, it doesn't contradict at all. I mean, that's why I I, I have the most... I've always said I have the most compassion for ones of all the numbers on the Enneagram. And I, one of the reasons is you feel so strongly about doing it. It's, it's all the pieces we've built up to. You're the only type for whom feeling supports doing. And when you get to that feeling and that introspection, um, you have to sit in it long enough for it to move to a positive space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it certainly doesn't start out there. And it doesn't with fours. I mean, that's a good representation of fours. Fours feel like they're missing something that everyone else got. And sevens have that line to five. So they just get extra logic there, but that's where they get introspection. They've got the line of five. And so when you look at for you as a one, like everyone else is getting logic from stopping and ones don't get logic until you, you it's the flexibility. You know, you've drawn from logic when you are socially aware and versatile. Yeah, to build on that, we can engage our, our head when we're in security, which is part of that. If if you're if you're holding things a little bit more loosely, it allows you to be more secure. And when you're secure, then you can grab hold of some of that thoughtfulness at seven. Yeah, I I mean I I think this could really be impactful because I think people once they get deep enough in it to the enneagram to see how impactful it is, it's like what's next? Mm -hmm. Okay, how do I really apply this? And I think this stoplight analogy is going to be a great way. A, to hand a tool to people to say, okay, depending on what you need to bring up, meaning stopping, I need to stop to bring up logic. TJ needs to stop stopping. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, and what TJ, and if you look at our natural movement, I think we lean into the stress before we lean into security naturally. Mm -hmm. And TJ definitely represents that. He goes from, solitude and introspection to, and that's the word I think I want to use more than, um, self-reflection is solitude. I think nine, four, five represents solitude and introspection so well and so naturally. And TJ naturally moves from solitude to, and introspection to social awareness and versatility and action and implementation is last for him. Mm -hmm. And once he knows that's how he's wired, then he can choose action and implementation maybe faster. Yeah, sure. The 
just to again improve that I am, we we did work on this in terms of the underlying feelings because I think there's something to discover here as well in terms of leaning into your stress number first. If you think about the underlying feeling of your stress number, it's there. We we've talked about being blind to the underlying feeling of your security number, um, and there there's work there's there's things to be uncovered there. But I do I, I think it confirms what what you're saying in terms of we just naturally we're in our center, but we can pull a little bit more easily and utilize stress, the tools yeah, that are at stress. Absolutely. Anyway. I love what you're saying about that. We're less comfortable with that, with our stress number or with our secure number than that emotion of our stress. I'm a big believer. I, I wonder where you two stand on this. I'm a big believer in just because it's a stress move doesn't mean it's bad. Agreed. Oh yeah. And just because it's a secure move doesn't mean it's yep. good. We're disciples of a woman in Texas <sighs> on this front. <laughs> I'm guessing that would be my mother. Um, so essentially, you know, they're high and low side behaviors. And one thing that I have presented recently to my mom that she's really looking at is what my belief is the low side of your stress. That's kind of the first place we go, right? Like I visually think about bottoming out in my number and dragging myself to the low side of my stress move. Right. Um, but once you experience high side and recognize that you can employ that first, I believe that the low side behavior of our secure number is what we intuitively use to justify bad behavior. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. For sure. You should yeah, talk, we, TJ. I got yeah, we, too much to say. We did a whole series on this concept that, that we called villainy because this is this is where the worst, like when we are secure but unhealthy, this is where the worst traits of our of ourselves can come out and we can just come out swinging with them. So. Absolutely. And when I, so I've always said when I lose it on someone, Yes, that's eight intensity, Mm -hmm. but me actually losing it is an emotional reaction. Right. That's low side too, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the flip side, the, I think there's something to be said, this is something that we had a group, we have a group that we converse with, but there's something about your stress number with most of the numbers where they are shutting down their primary center. And if you go to the, if you go to the high side of your stress number, one of the benefits is you're shutting down your primary center and it's giving you fresh tools to deal with the thing. Cause if you could have dealt with the thing, you wouldn't be stressed out. So the fact that you're stressed out means that your primary center isn't doing the job and to remove it could be a great benefit to remove it might, uh, how do you remove it and actually still move forward? And it strikes me. I, re- I recognize that that's not the case with, with uh, fours and fives. But with everybody else, there is some, some of that element. Absolutely. And you and I and your wife, Jeff, we, the thing we need to do to shut down (laughs) is solitude and introspection. There it is. And, uh, we, that's the last thing we're wired to do, Mm. but man, it's impactful when we do. I love that you have that set of triads firmly in mind, right, right now and are employing it. We are, uh, both of us are thinking, oh no, we're behind the ball on this now because we have been thinking about that set of triads for a little while, trying to figure out like what is the thing that connects here because the eight one three, we've been we've been having a lot yeah. of conversations about the eight one three and the similarities there, and so I love that you brought that up and now we'll yeah start. we process with doing yeah. 
We just look at them. I mean, I, th- I, th- I honestly think that's the next step in taking this forward is mm-hmm. you got to get, yes, dominant and repressed works, but it's confusing right. and it, and it takes out a big chunk of the world. Three, there's a lot of three sixes and nines in the world. Mm-hmm. When you look at it from what are you processing with, it's very clear to me, eights, ones, and threes process with action, five, sevens, nines process with logic and observation and twos, fours, and sixes process with emotion and people awareness. Yeah. Love that. That's good work. Um, may I may I jump back to here's here's a <laughs> speed round. <laughs> not very speedy. Sorry, <laughs> not very speedy speed round. It, it may it may require a new name, <laughs> and this isn't necessarily a fast answer either. So, uh, you, you'll know that gender and social roles can solidify in a culture, and two types uh, routinely are kind of brought up: male twos and female eights um, in terms of in a culture like ours, the expectations and how, how the culture relates to those um, combinations. Do you, do you have any wisdom for other female eights in terms of uh, being, you know, just being a person with, with those experiences? Absolutely. And because I'm raising a male four, I would add twos and fours, male twos and fours, I think as um, that's definitely something that the culture doesn't treat as kindly. Uh, definitely. And, um, the way I, the way I say it for female eights is, you know, male eights get celebrated for things that we get called a bitch for quite frankly, over and over. But I remind female eights that we have something as females that male eights don't have. And that is we can emote and cry and, and really get emotional which we often do when we're angry. Um, I think every female eight I've ever come across we're very acutely aware that we are emotional when we're angry. Um, and we haven't figured out what else, what hurt is behind that ultimately. Um, but that means that, uh, we get a reset that male eights don't get. Mm. So it is, um, becoming more and more obvious to me that male eights, um, usually have heart issues that female eights don't have. I was teaching at, Mm. Olivet University like 10 years ago. And I mentioned that and I had a male eight in the room say, that explains my stroke. Ouch. And he was like 30. Yeah. Oof. So my, I tell you female eights that, you know, we're not taking it personally. And so if you don't like us and you think we're a bitch, then we, it to us, you don't know us. And so we kind of have that built-in natural armor but I would say um, the biggest lesson that I have gained um, in my life is allowing vulnerability and connecting with others by showing it. Mm. I would, if just to circle back to our very first question, if somebody were to say, what's one thing you, that most people don't know about eights, that's actually where I'd focus is most people don't realize that eights feel very vulnerable as a, can you put language to that? It's not a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe uh, so much in the lines that we share that I believe um, that's how we access that, that the way we access those centers of intelligence is tied to the stance that it's in. So I am in the independent stance and I process with doing, I represent independent doing when I draw from five, 
that is, um, my, my new term for withdrawing, which is a great term. I mean, that's the best. I think that stance is named the best is withdrawing. Agreed. I've renamed that stance solitary mainly because when fours, fives, and nines do pull in what's inside that internal terrain is so different that I think solitary is a better word. Mm. When I draw from five, my thinking is solitary. Mm. And what that means is I have all these thoughts that you have no idea what I'm thinking. And unless you ask me a specific question that requires more than a yes or no answer, you're never going to know what I'm thinking or fives or sevens when they are secure and withdrawn. That's that five piece. My secure line connects me to two. So that's feeling in the responsive stance. So I believe that there are only three types who are truly responsive feelers. And that is twos, fours, and eights. And because it's last for eights and it requires vulnerability, very few people see that we are in fact um, very empathic. And uh, I think that's tied to our responsive feeling. If you look at it for you, Jeff, you are the quintessential responsive doer. Your doing is responsive all day, every day. Your line to four means that you are a solitary feeler. And so unless we ask you a question that requires more than a yes or no answer, we're not going to know what you're feeling. What you're transparent about is your doing or your thinking. Your line to seven means that you're an independent thinker. And that's where it's hard to move a one because I can't change your mind. I can, in, independent means you can't change it. You can't change what an eight's going to do. You can influence my feeling, but you cannot influence my doing. You, Jeff, I can influence your doing. I don't know what you're feeling and I can't influence what you think ultimately because that's where independent for you. And then when you look at TJ, Man, he represents solitary doing. I always um, jokingly think about um, wedding crashers mm. with the Will Ferrell scene when he's like, I never know what she's doing back there. No. Like that's nine space. Mm -hmm. We have, you're doing a solitary. It doesn't occur to you to share with us what you're doing. Correct. Jeff, I bet you've recognized that in your wife because threes have share that line to nine. And, and sixes, y'all, the three of you, three sixes and nines, because you're all interconnected, I can, I can speak to you as a group in ways I can't to everyone else. And that is with enough information, I can change your mind, TJ, Yep. just like I can change sixes minds and threes minds because you're responsive thinkers. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to change how you feel about something ever. Yes. Ever. Cause you're independent feelers. Correct. And Unless I'm asking the three of you specific questions about your plan of action, I have no idea what you're planning to do. Yeah, that's true. I love that. It's pretty <sighs> cool when you look at it because I think it really is going to mm -hmm. speak to um, people not requiring of others what they don't have to give mm -hmm. ultimately. Yeah. And, and so when you look at um, fours and fives at the bottom of the Enneagram who um, – what I think really makes them unique is every other type on the Enneagram, we, while sevens may not have a line to the feeling center, they've got a responsive line. They have a line to one. So I think sevens fool themselves and others that they're feeling when they're just being responsive. Mm -hmm. And fives don't have that. Fives 
don't have aligned responsive. So they are have that double whammy of no feeling line and no responsive line. Fours, while twos can make up for not having a line to thinking by having an independent, like they're, when twos are doing, you can't influence what a two is doing. They're independent about it. Mm-hmm. And that, sh- it, that kind of self-confidence, I think sometimes um, can look like it's been thought out. So I think twos fool themselves and others with their independent doing mm-hmm. and fours don't have that. Fours have no line to thinking, but they also have no, they're the only type who has no line to the independent stance. So there's, they can't stand independent ever. And um, that's an interesting space to occupy ultimately. So what I say is we need to stop asking from fives who have no natural responsiveness. They're the only type and we require responsiveness from them all the time. And what's what you can allow space for and be appreciative for with a five who is responding, that was a conscious decision on their part Mm -hmm. because they're the only type where it's not hardwired in. So I think there's a lot to that, you know, where are we drawing from those centers and what is it responsive? Is it independent or is it solitary? Did you say you're putting that on paper? Yeah. Longest speed round in history. Sorry. (laughs) I am. I'm putting it down. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, I need to go back and re-listen to that section a handful of times with a piece of paper so that I can diagram it out because I was like, okay, I see this, I don't see this. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in Enneagram world, there is a negativity associated with your type as though your type is something to knock out, behead, leave on the floor so that you can go somewhere else. And I think that's a huge mistake. Can you talk more about being an eight and in, in what you gift to the rest of us um synthesis is big i i think that's that's the natural logic that is supporting doing like eights aren't going to do it if they it doesn't make sense ultimately uh because we process with doing but support it with logic and observation and i the more balanced i have become the more look at it one of two ways i'm either drawing from people awareness right and allowing vulnerability if you go back to the stoplight analogy, that's where I'm drawing from versatility and social awareness. Mm-hmm. And social awareness, in my definition, is allowing others' perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I think eights move so fast and we think so fast and it's not a focus on others that unless we slow down and um, put some intentionality around allowing other points of view, we're missing the gift that we have of synthesizing it and making it applicable to the world, like doing something with it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think um, I would be in this position um, with the insight I have without the balance that I have actively sought. And you can't make it up. You know, you can't, I've said for years, um, I dealt with something two years ago that I couldn't control. It was the first time in my life I couldn't control something. And I believe that three sevens and eights until we come up against something that we truly can't control, we are not going to experience the transformation and balance that comes with, with Enneagram and self-awareness. And so I'm, I'm grateful for it because the balance it's given me is, is unbelievable. I suppose last question on that. That's a, that's super helpful because it's, what is the, advice to be given to three sevens and eights when they hit the crash 
of the thing. Like we kind of talked about that before in terms of this is very common for assertive types. Um, there's, you have to be aware of our intuitive ability to stand independent from it, even as we are crashing. And when you allow an analysis of the true emotions that are going to go with that, ultimately you're allowing some vulnerability and an acknowledgement that you're, we're not in control of everything. And that's pretty impactful. Mm -hmm. So I would say for three sevens and eights, um, allow it, don't stand independent from it and don't try to change it. Um, slowing down and sitting in it, it goes back to, you know, go somewhere, you know, threes and eights. I think we got to go to solitude and introspection and so do sevens. Cause even for sevens, um, that's a, that's an easier step maybe, um, for eights. I think it's easiest for eights because that's our stress mood. Mm -hmm. Solitude and introspection is the stress move for threes, but I think their natural uneasiness within keeps, I think threes are wired to draw from six before they draw from nine hmm. because nine means solitude and introspection and that's stopping and looking at what's inside. And so even though nine is the stress move and would be the natural order, I think threes tend to bypass that and they'd rather go to yield before they go to stop ultimately. Agreed. And for sevens, it's the last move. Like sevens would rather do and go to action and implementation before solitude and introspection. And uh, sevens need solitude and introspection. They're never going to get to feeling without it. No line there. Um, no line. Cheering for your work, Joey. What's, what's, uh, what's next for you? So just continuing to um, grow in corporate America, because I think this can be so impactful in that world. Um, but I am finally ready to publish my own work. And that's what, that's what I'm, I'm working on. I'm 30,000 words in and, and starting to kind of uh, look for a publisher. And that's, that's a big next for me because I, I think this is so impactful and I'm hoping to bring my insight um, in a way that the way I like to say it is, I think the way I teach it is practical and doesn't give much to push against. Mm -hmm. And just to tie it back to the beginning for people who say this is just a spiritual tool. Um, I find that when you, um, ground it in that it, and, and please hear me, I think it marries with the spiritual journey very well. Um, I don't negate that in any way, but I also think it gives people something to push against. And when you take that piece out and just make it about motivation and self-reflection, um, I think that it's going to be able to um, be taken in by a larger group. Um, hopefully, that's that's what I'm hoping. Based on this conversation alone, I, I think that um, like you, you mentioned earlier that that you don't really like steep yourself in other Enneagram material that's out there and. And we sort of struggle with that a little bit as well. And part of that is because it's it's someone's different viewpoint on the same things all the time. And, and there isn't a lot of fresh ways to actually ingest and, and, and digest the material. And like it, it's so much like, like how many different ways can you make a cookie? Like there's... The, they're they're all chocolate chip cookies. They're just like slightly different, and and um, this is like oh it's 
the material that you're bringing forward is fresh in a way that is like, I never understood what cookies were supposed to taste like. And I, I'm really interested to, to see what you have to say in that kind of written word and, and adding that to the vast catalog of, of Enneagram and material that's out there because I think there is some really, really fresh stuff here and, and like understanding it systemically in a different kind of way. So I'm excited for that. And TJ, you saying that um, hits particularly poignantly because I'm very aware you process with logic. And I think all the different versions of cookies that have been out there are written from a relational standpoint mm -hmm. yep. solely. Yeah. And and like if I could choose, I, I doubt I'll be able to, if I could choose the the you know subtitle of my book, I feel like it should be, it just makes sense. Yeah. It like does. there's so much logic yes. to this yes. it just in, makes my, sense. in my viewpoint. So I love that. There's the thinking things make sense. There's also the proving things are apt and um, empirical. Do you, are you able to get to those spaces? Because this is a motivational tool. Yeah. And I, I think that um, that line is constantly moving mm. on what can be proven because it's motivation mm -hmm. and not behavior. And I think behavior can be proven over and over again. You have to have um, people in conversation who are actually being honest about the motivation, right? which I think is what's going to make this empirical evidence yeah. tricky. And, and there's a ton of science-minded people out there who, when you say that all of the data on this is self-reporting, that that just means that immediately discredits it. The fact that Absolutely. it's self-reporting is just, okay, we don't have to have this conversation anymore. And good news, it feels like there's windows into this because when speaking about um, one's gender, for example, or one's experience as a person of a certain race, that, that self-confessed side matters to you know and you can study it it's looser i'm i'm super interested in the subjective on this front enneagram is just another you know lens into how how are you as a human being coming to the world around you the only thing you can do is self-report absolutely and i you know jeff i love that you're a philosopher by trade is that a correct way to can i did i say that? i taught for 12 years okay and covid kind of gave me a a fresh restart. So I, when people do push against this and say, oh, it's mis the mystics or, you know, I, man, I'm so aware that it seems to be a pretty good um, marriage of Eastern and Western philosophies and traditions, right? Sure. And when I was starting, I was working on the intro for my book, I naturally focus on the three native intelligence centers. And I've always say that's not Enneagram specific. And and realize that goes back. That's the tri. That's Plato's tripartite soul. It is is what we're ultimately looking at. And yep, it's fascinating to me. You know, when you look at that, when you look at if eight, nine, and one is gut, that's the bottom of his hierarchy, right? And we don't all have lines to um, feeling and lines to thinking, and that it it it's harder as you go ultimately to get to logic. And I think coming at this, coming at Enneagram from an objective, logical perspective, I'm, what I'm hoping is it's not too far of a reach for people. And 
just saying things in ways like you two experienced it while we were talking like, oh, that makes sense. Like for you, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. People have to take it in and say, wow, that I can apply that to myself and it makes sense. Man, I think it can really be impactful as we go forward. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, if you want to go down the Plato route, there's there's all sorts of things to be said. Uh, so much that I, Plato's already done the work. Like I can say, because yep. so, the work's done, you can say, oh, this is what he's saying about intuitional types or yeah. head types or the rest. It's good stuff. Joy, it's been a delight having you. Thank you. Uh, we have kept you twice as long as promised. This is this is not creating consistency at all. What a gift. I'm good. With, I love talking about Enneagram, especially with people who are doing some real work with it. Thank and it's, you know, not coffee talk. So good. I'm looking forward to seeing all of your, your work moving forward. Again, one of the few people that I really learned quite a bit from. And so I'll just be thrilled to see your stuff on paper in the future. Um, and that's why I got, you got anything else, TJ? Uh, this has been just an absolute pleasure you're so smart and i love talking to people who know more than i do about things so i'm excited to see how you affect the world of enneagram study moving forward thank you both for having me um i i said it earlier i don't know if we got it um if it made it in but having this conversation with people who are really honestly applying this and um you guys are at the top of that list for me. So it, it made for a great conversation on my end. Um, thanks for letting me bounce some of these new ideas off of you. Excellent. She's Joey Shuey. She's a Titan. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't just is not interesting. <laughs>